Hey, welcome back to the Measure Twice Planners podcast. Today's educational conversation about disability insurance is with Chris Clark, the president at the doctor team, who has been committed to serving medical residents, fellows, and practicing physicians with their financial health and well-being for over 15 years. If you enjoy our conversation, you can watch 30 additional minutes in the full video version, as well as over 30 hours worth of valuable educational content at MeasureTwicePlanners.com. If you are listening to this episode in September 2023, the annual cost for future members will increase by $100 to $649 per year on October 1st. So if you're considering becoming an official member of Measure Twice Planners, you can lock in that $549 price for the next five days. As a reminder, this conversation only includes general education. Do not interpret any of this as personalized investment, tax, insurance, or legal advice. So Chris, I'm so excited to have our conversation about disability insurance, which is something that people don't talk a lot about. Life insurance is the name of the game. It's what everybody talks about, even on TikTok and LinkedIn, term life versus permanent life insurance and the debates. But everybody forgets about the more more common risk, which is disability and not having that income for your family, but also having that income for yourself because you're still around. So I looked at your profile and over the past 20 years, you've worked with thousands of medical residents and fellows providing comprehensive financial education, and helping them secure disability insurance. What piqued your interest in disability insurance? And also, why particularly with physicians from the beginning? Yeah, thanks, Cody, for having me. That's a great question. And and the life insurance thing is funny. I think it's um, living and dying is such a polarizing topic, but we don't we don't like to talk about if if we get sick or injured. And it's just much more important. It's much more common, as you mentioned. So I started in 2003 working with uh, medical residents and fellows in Los Angeles County. And um, our company at that point administered the group disability insurance plan that covered uh, all the the residents and fellows in Los Angeles County. I really quickly fell in love with the disability insurance side of it because I realized that these physicians were going to have the ability to have a, a lifestyle that was uncommon to most people based on their income potential. And really, as you mentioned, the most common risk to them to not having that, carrying out that lifestyle or living out that lifestyle was a disability. And so I'm I'm conservative person by nature. And so it kind of lined up with, with my uh, personality. And it was fun to show them that, hey, you know, if you live out your income potential and you're making 250, 300, 500,000, depending on your your specialty, here's the things you're going to be able to do in terms of buying houses and vacations and retirement and things with your kids and your family and so on and so forth. The biggest risk is a disability. So let's let's take care of that first. Let's make sure that you're protected um, in the event that something happens. And let's um, ensure really your your most valuable asset, which is your ability to earn an income. Most of us have familiarity with group disability insurance, primarily as an employee, like W-2 employee, you know, some short-term, long-term, we can add amount above what the employer possibly covers for us. But when you're working with residents and doctors, when do you start shifting from a group disability insurance conversation to like adding an independent policy? For physicians and other occupations, really all occupations, we have that group versus individual conversation right off the bat. As residents and fellows, most are covered under a group plan, also known as an employer plan. It comes through your employer. 
probably the biggest misconception is I have coverage through my employer. I don't need to buy my own individual policy. We go in and talk to these residents or we go in to talk to these um, professionals in other occupations and say, yes, you have group coverage, but let's make sure that we're reviewing the group policy to see if you need an individual policy. There's some positives of the group policy. Number one, it's usually very inexpensive or free. Number two, you usually don't have to qualify medically. So regardless of your medical history and, and how healthy or unhealthy you are, you get the coverage. The positives usually stop there. And so we start to talk to them right away about why they may, may need to consider an individual policy. People talk about uh, the definition of disability being the most important part of the policy. And when you say that to someone, they're like, you know, you're speaking a foreign language. But what that really means is, what does the language in the policy say in terms of how they define whether you're disabled or not, and whether they're going to pay you or not? And so a group policy is always going to have an inferior definition or inferior language to an individual policy. The best definition that you can get is what's called own occupation or true own occupation coverage that says, hey, if I can't work in my medical specialty or occupation, whatever that occupation is, the insurance company is going to pay you regardless of whether you can work in another medical specialty or another occupation. And so very, very, very few group policies offer that definition of disability. The group policies design their coverage to be in favor of the insurance company, not of you, the insured. And so what, what that looks like is they have an inferior definition of disability that says, we're only going to pay you if you can't work in your specialty or your occupation for two years. That's what the most common scenario is. And then after that two years, we're, we're going to only keep paying you if you're not working in any occupation. And so in that situation, you have to be basically sitting at home on the couch to continue to receive your benefits. And there's language in those policies that makes it a little bit more complicated than that on purpose with the goal from the insurance company side to not pay that claim. And so once we start educating people on what that looks like, they go, oh man, I didn't realize that, right? Because we think about insurance um, when we buy it, we we learn about insurance when we buy it, but then what do we do? We put it in our filing cabinet or we put it in our online folder and we don't think about it anymore until the day we need it, right? What we see happen a lot is people calling us saying, hey, I'm disabled, my income's gone away and my group or company policy is not paying. They're fighting me for various number of reasons can I buy my own policy? Well, at that point, it's too late. Once you're sick or injured, it's too late to get an individual policy. So we try to educate people. We try to get them to think about these things before the disability happens, while they're healthy, while they can qualify for an individual policy. Sometimes the group policy is good enough and it's inexpensive enough or it's free that that's really all you need. Sometimes we recommend that you opt out or try to cancel the group policy if it's a little bit more expensive and it's just not very good and just have your own individual policy. And sometimes we recommend uh, a combination of both. So it's really a matter of kind of reviewing your situation, looking at what's best. The next part that comes into play there is the portability 
of the group policy. So the group policies don't go with you if you get fired or quit or decide to take another job. And again, people don't realize this. And so, you know, they'll work for an employer for a few years, move on, and then not realize, hey, I can't take my group policy with me. At this point, again, something may have happened in their health that would prohibit them from getting individual coverage and or the cost of individual coverage is going to be higher now because the cost is based on your age when you buy it. So try to have that conversation early on, whether it's with the medical resident or another professional to kind of educate them on some of these things. The group policy leaves the insurance company in control, whereas the individual policy leaves you in control. And there's a couple ways that plays out. We had a, an example a couple of years ago where a big health system in one of the biggest states changed their group policy to the detriment of the physicians and did not have to notify them. All of these physicians are sitting here with the policy that had um, been changed and made worse, and they were not aware of that. And so that's one of the ways that the employers in control. The other way, and maybe the most important way that the employer is in control and the insurance company is in the claims process. Disability insurance is only as good as you being able to collect on that policy when and if you're sick or injured, which is called the claims process, right? And so in an event that you only have a group policy, the employer and the insurance company are in control of the claims process where they pick the doctor that you go to see. They have language in their policy that says, we're not going to pay you unless you're under the regular care of a physician receiving the appropriate care for that illness or injury. Well, you don't get to work with your doctor as you would under an individual policy. You have to go through their physician and you're under their language on whether you're receiving the appropriate care. So it makes it a lot tougher to receive your benefit with a group policy. Just like you mentioned, a lot of employees just say, oh, I have it through work without realizing that it's not just you have it or you don't have it. There's like levels of complexity. There's levels of benefit. And also, as you mentioned, control. You have a great video on the Measure Twice website, and, and we do the same thing. We ask our clients and the people we're working with to get a specimen policy from their employer, and then we help them review it, and we make notes for them and just say, hey, here's what you're dealing with. That way they can make an informed decision on, wow, man, if I get disabled, this really isn't going to provide what I thought it was in terms of the level of protection. And as we mentioned earlier, when someone buys disability insurance, they learn about it for that one week or two week period. And then they kind of forget everything they knew and put it in their file. Well, the same thing happens with, with employers. When employers implement a policy to cover the employees, they learn about it for a couple of weeks, and then they forget everything they knew, right? And so it's on the employee, it's on the professional to say, hey, let me get a review of this policy to understand what I'm really getting into. And what's the employer worried about mostly? They're worried about checking that box to say, yes, we provide disability coverage. But secondly, and maybe most importantly, they're worried about cost, right? And so they're trying to keep their costs down, uh, both in the way of claims and premium, that the group policy costs to the employer. And so it's kind of a little bit of a backwards process. The problem is a lot of financial advisors and insureds don't know where to go to have their group disability policy reviewed. They just say, okay, I got coverage. I'm good to go. I checked that box. I'm not going to worry about it until the day that they get disabled, right? And then it's like, oh man, I really, really hope that my coverage is good enough for my situation. Because most people ask the question, they say, do I need 
disability coverage? Well, the answer to do I need disability coverage really hits you in the face, you know, the day your income is going to go away. So what we ask people when they say, do I need disability coverage is what would it look like for you if you woke up tomorrow and your income was gone? Right. And we try to we try to take a step back and look at that from their overall financial planning situation and say, how long would you be able to make it or survive or maintain your current lifestyle if your income went away tomorrow? And when you start having that conversation with people, they usually go, okay, I understand. I know I need at least a little bit of disability coverage. And we go from there. So what are the riders that like you immediately look for? And if they're missing, you say, hey, wait a minute, let's let's look deeper here. Yeah. So we try to educate people on the cost of disability insurance and how the cost works. So there's kind of two subsets that break up uh, or make up the cost of disability insurance. The first is the fixed um, subset, which is your age, your gender, your occupation, the state you're in and how much coverage you buy. And so that's going to just go into the cost and, and determine that first part. The second subset are the are the variable costs, and the variable costs are the elimination period, also the benefit period. The elimination period is how long you have to be out of work once you're sick or injured to be eligible for your benefits. And the benefit period is once you're disabled and receiving your benefit, how long does that get paid for? That's typically to age 65 or 67, where where the Elimination period or waiting period is usually on a long-term disability policy is usually 60, 90, or 180, 180 days. So the next part of the variable options are what, what are called riders, which you just mentioned. So someone can design their policy and add or remove the different riders that are important to them. There are a few riders that we deem kind of essential to each policy. The first part of a policy that's crucial is the own occupation definition. So that definition is going to say, hey, if you can't work in your current occupation or for a doctor medical specialty, we're going to pay you even if you're working in another occupation. The second part that's super important is what's called non-cancelable and guaranteed renewable. That's a policy that basically says you're in control. So once the policy is in force, only you can cancel it or make changes to it. The insurance company cannot call up one day and say, hey, we're canceling your policy or we're changing some of the features to it. The annual renewable part means that that policy, as long as you're paying your premium, will renew every year regardless of anything that happens in your life. Some of the riders that you mentioned that are super important, the first one is what's called a future increase option. There's different versions at, at each insurance company of a future increase option. Some companies call it a benefit update rider. But what that does is it allows you to buy more or increase your coverage in the future without having to do any new medical qualification as your income increases. So you mentioned kind of a starter policy. We recommend that young professionals or physicians buy a starter policy, basically, um, so it fits in their budget, right? And one of the biggest misconceptions that, that we get is disability insurance is too expensive, I can't afford it. Well, we can help you design a policy to fit your budget, whether it's $100, $150, $200 a month, and then you put on this future increase option rider, which will guarantee yourself the ability to buy more in the future when your income's gone up without having to go through the medical qualification at that point. There's also what's called an automatic benefit enhancement rider, which automatically bumps up your benefit every year 
and also automatically bumps up your cost, but it's about 4% that they're bumping it up each year. So it's not a huge increase in your cost, but it, but it does increase your benefit as it goes. You mentioned the partial disability rider. The partial disability rider is one that we deem essential. What that does is it says, hey, you may be sick or injured, but you may not be out of your occupation or out of your job full-time. You may be still working part-time in your job. In that case, we're going to pay you a corresponding amount of the percentage of income you've lost of your benefit. You get sick or injured, you're still working in your occupation, you may have a 50% loss of income due to your injury or illness. In that case, they'll pay you 50% of your benefit. And so that one's crucial. We do see a fair amount of partial claims. There's also what's called a cost of living adjustment rider. The cost of living adjustment rider comes into play only if you're on claim. If you're sick or injured and you go on claim for the first 12 months, you're going to receive your monthly benefit. Let's say you have 5,000 of monthly benefit. You're going to receive that for the first 12 months. Starting in month 13 and the subsequent years that you're on claim, your benefit's going to increase by up to 3%. Um, Some companies offer the option for it to increase by up to 6%, compounding for every year that you're on disability. So if you're disabled when you're young, or you have 10 plus years on claim, five, even five plus years on claim, that cost of living adjustment is going to be a big deal in terms of how much more benefit you receive. Let's say that I type in, I, I see quotes from Guardian, Mass Mutual, Northwestern Mutual, Mutual of Omaha. Instead of going to like the cheapest one, what are the variables that you look at when choosing the insurer and the right policy? Yeah, absolutely. And buying uh, disability insurance is, is similar to a lot of other purchases. Um, And I would use the analogy of buying a house, right? You wouldn't go on Zillow and find seven houses that are four bedroom, three bath, 2000 square feet, and then just buy the cheapest one, right? (laughs) You got to go see the house and you got to see if you like the kitchen, you like the backyard and it's well built and there's not issues with the same thing with the disability policy. The hard thing with disability insurance is people don't know what they don't know. And so they're a little bit afraid of that. And so then they just say, okay, I'll buy the cheapest policy. Well, There's ways to design the policy that would fit your individual needs and your individual financial situation. For example, we talked about the elimination period. Well, if you have a 90-day elimination period, again, that's the time um, that you have to wait before you're eligible for your benefits to kick in. That's going to be more expensive than if you have a 180-day elimination period and you have six months before the benefits kick in. Well, your specific situation may be suited in a way that you have a spouse or you have some investments or some cash that allows you to have a 180-day elimination period and pay less premium for your policy. Again, a policy hopefully you never use. But if you don't work with an advisor, if you don't have a human being to have that conversation with and understand your financial situation and the specifics of that, you may just buy a 90-day policy and end up paying more and you have to. On the flip side of that is the the benefit period. So most people will buy a benefit period to age 65 or 67. What we found in a lot of situations, a 10-year benefit period can make a lot of sense given that person's uh, specific financial situation. And again, the cost of the premium goes down. So we try to really have conversations and ask questions to understand people's specific situations and, and goals and then design a policy around that. Um, we, we have kind of four important criteria when we recommend a policy. So you mentioned working with an independent broker. Working with an independent broker is very, very important in my opinion. What that means is that 
broker doesn't have any special financial ties to any of the insurance companies. They don't have a dog in the fight per se. There's a difference between the term broker and agent. Usually an agent is going to work for an insurance company, whether it's uh, Mass Mutual or Northwestern Mutual or Principal. Their benefits and their financial situation is greatly tied to that insurance company's paying them and, and being an employee of that insurance company or agent of that insurance company. And obviously, they're going to have bias in that situation, right? They're going to want to sell more of that insurance company. You know, let's say you want to buy a car, but you go to the Toyota dealership. Well, they're probably not going to sell you a Honda, right? They're incentivized to sell you a Toyota. So it's very similar. You have to try to understand, am I working with an agent that, that is an employee of an insurance company or tied to an insurance company? Or am I working with an independent broker? What an independent broker is going to do is show you all six options that offer own occupation disability insurance. And then they're going to carefully explain the pros and cons of each option to help you find the best fit for your situation. So we look at four sets of criteria when we're comparing the six insurance companies. We look at price, obviously, first is very, very important. We don't want you to pay more than you have to. We look at language inside each insurance company's policy. And so if one company has better language or one company has inferior language uh, that determines when and if you're going to get paid, that's really important. We want to point that out. We look at the, the claims payment history of the insurance company. So we get updated from attorneys that work with the CEOs of these companies on who's paying claims and who's having more bad faith where they're not paying claims. And so we pay attention to not only currently, but historically, how have these insurance companies paid claims? Because our job is to make you have peace of mind that day when you wake up and your, your income's not going to be there, that your claim's going to be paid. Right. And then the fourth thing we look at is the financial strength of the insurance company. And the financial strength of the insurance company plays into whether your claim is going to get paid or not. If that insurance company is not very financially secure, well, they're going to be incentivized to, to not pay the claim or not pay claims. Right. Similar, we saw the bank failures um, recently. If bank is not doing a good job um, and not being responsible um, financially, then it's going to be a little bit harder in the event something bad happens. And so, very similar with insurance companies. We, we try to put you with a very, very strong and financially secure insurance company. And that ties into the odds uh, that, you're, that your claims paid. So once the insurance company is paying benefits, how often do they need proof of disability over time? So the insurance companies in the claims process, they, they don't mess around, right? Because their goal is to not pay the claim. And so there unfortunately is a decent amount of fraud out there. So they do inspect um, you at the claim process and they will continue continue to monitor you to make sure that, that your claim is not fraudulent. This is a big, big issue in the group disability world, right? Because the insurance company, as we mentioned, has all the control. And so they are um, hassling you to continue to make sure you're disabled, you're under the regular care of a physician, and you're getting the appropriate care from that physician. And it's a real pain to continue to prove that you're disabled. With the individual carriers, um, depending on how you're disabled or what the disability is, it's a lot easier to work, to work with them and prove you're disabled. And then they don't hassle you near as much after the original approval of the claim. If you have a severe disability, then they're not going to hassle you really at all because it, it is what it is. They know you're disabled. 
the stronger that the insurance company is that you work with, the easier the claims process is going to be. Um, if they are doing a very good job up front at approving you, then they know that they don't need to do as much of a check on the back end to approve your claim or continue to determine if you're disabled. So um, on the individual side, it's not quite as much of a worry as people think, as long as you know they're not there's no funny business. But um, yeah, there there used to be a lot more disability insurance carriers that offered coverage in the space, um, you know, 20 plus carriers, and there was a lot of fraud in the 80s and 90s. Um, and so a lot of the insurance companies got out of the business. Working with a strong individual um, carrier, you're not going to have um, too much hassle after you, you've initially proved that you're disabled. Most people think about disability insurance and workers' comp. Like they kind of tie them together thinking, oh, well, I don't do anything physical in my job. I just like stand behind a desk. I actually learned that most disability claims actually come from being disabled outside of the workplace. So could you talk a little bit about examples of types of disability, you know, disability claims that you've seen? that are unrelated from the profession itself? Absolutely. So there's three ways you can get paid in the event of a disability. You have you, you have social security, you have workers comp, and then you have whether it's group or individual disability insurance, right? So a lot of people think, hey, if something happens, I'll get social security um, disability coverage or I'll get workers comp. Well, social security has a long waiting period. It's very, very hard to qualify and even get your benefit. And if you get your benefit, a lot of times it's a lot less than you thought right? Because it's based on your income and years worked and, and so on and so forth. So workers comp is based on an accidental injury at work. As you mentioned, the odds are far, far greater that you're going to get disabled outside of work or the cause of disability is going to be something that happened outside of work. Not only that, most people, when you think of disability, you think of an injury or you think of a car accident or you think of something along those lines. The statistics show very, very clearly, and this is actually this trend is increasing that most disabilities are caused by illness, not injury. So musculoskeletal disabilities are the number one cause of, of disabilities in our, in our country. And these are things like arthritis, back pain, joint disorders, fibromitis, et cetera. So a lot of times, you know, an illness or a back injury or arthritis is something that, that didn't come from an injury. Very, very close second to those are um, things like cancer, um, heart disease, heart attack. And again, those are things that didn't come from something that would happen at work or an injury. And then a rapidly increasing cause of disabilities is what we call mental nervous. And so mental nervous would be, you know, stress or anxiety. It would be OCD disorder, ADHD or bipolar disorder. And and these are now making up about 10% of all claims. Again, something that that doesn't come from a workers' comp claim or an injury. So, a lot of people think, "Hey, you know, disability insurance is for surgeons. You know, if something happens to their hands, they can't work." Or disability insurance is for someone that, in an injury-prone profession, it's really, really not the case. Um, we are seeing disabilities last longer as well, too, which people aren't realizing. I looked up a stat. So, according to the 2022 Insurance Barometer Study, half of U.S. households wouldn't be able to make it six months if their primary um, income earner were disabled. And so that's a pretty alarming stat when you think about, hey, if something were to happen, um, an illness that might not get resolved within six months, a lot of times it doesn't get resolved within a year, we're in trouble here from, a, from an emergency fund or from a savings standpoint. That's where the disability insurance comes in. 
One thing I want to mention here is the mental nervous claims you mentioned. I know, thankfully, there's a lot more information out there. People think very differently about a mental disorder than they do about like somebody you know, breaking their arm. The brain and the body are very well connected. But at the same time, you know, insurance companies are understanding this risk and how, how prevalent mental illness is. But I've noticed that these policies, it seems that they've kind of locked in this 20, they'll only pay benefits up to 24 months. The limitation of 24 months, is that normal? Is that new? And is there any way to get around that or extend those benefits? Yeah, the mental nervous uh, 24 month limitation is fairly new. All of the insurance companies have adopted it. And so what they're saying is if you have a mental nervous claim, we're only going to pay for 24 months. There are uh, a few exceptions to that. If you're under the specific care of a physician or if you're in the appropriate hospital for that mental condition, then sometimes you can you can work to get that paid longer than 24 months, but it's very, very rare. Again, as you mentioned, you know people are still understanding uh, mental nervous conditions and we're, we're learning a lot more every day. And so the insurance companies are a little bit scared of the rising percentage of claims due to mental nervous conditions. So they're really limiting the benefit period, which puts the financial advisor in an even more important position, right? They, they need to plan for that. Again, it's a conversation that usually doesn't happen around disability insurance, but a mental nervous claim can really affect your income for far more than two years, right? It can affect your whole lifestyle, depending on what it is, whether it's bipolar disorder or anxiety or depression. Um, it's hard to get back to maybe full capacity of what you're doing in terms of your of your work. And so being able to plan for your client to only have two years of benefit and maybe put some more money aside somewhere else to self-insure um, is a conversation that more and more advisors are ha having and um, is really important. I know I mentioned the Measure Twice planners, like initial video course, our physical, our mental, spiritual, relational, financial wellness are all interrelated. And I know as financial advisors, we focus a lot on the financial stuff. I mean, that's why people hire us, right? But we also need to acknowledge, just like you mentioned, if mental, uh, mental nervous claims are limited in their financial benefit, then we can talk about like avoidance and minimization of those risks, which actually comes down to taking care of yourself. And when we're talking about this limitation for mental health claims for disability insurance, this can also transfer into a conversation about how are you investing in your mental health? You know, not just financially, but like, how are you investing in like how you spend your energy and your time and your attention? I don't call myself a therapist, but a lot of work we do as financial advisors, financial planners is it's almost like we're like a therapist who happens to focus on money. And many of the conversations I have with clients have nothing to do with money. When we talk about taking care of ourselves physically and mentally, then we can say, how can we support our mental health, our physical health with our finances? Hey, like maybe we can, maybe we can invest in those things by paying for therapy. Maybe we can pay for you know, a chiropractor or massages or a gym membership or a, you know, a coach, like a, a physical performance coach. Even in that, in that realm, like when you're talking to residents, they think that, you know, I'll sleep when I die type of mentality of like, I'm just trying to get through medical school. I'm just trying to get through these, like these brutal years. They're working overtime. You're working, you know, huge long shifts. Do you have conversations with residents on the kind of the physical and mental health side of taking care of themselves? Yeah. So everything we do that's insurance related, we try to take a huge step back and look at the, the wide lens, look through the wide lens and look at the overall picture. And as you mentioned, it's all interconnected. So we find that most people 
And I think it's probably a human element are are looking for permission, right? Or they're looking to be coached and say, Hey, it's okay. It's okay to enjoy your life today, right? You're not doing everything and you're not working all these long hours just for retirement. It's okay to take breaks now. And it's okay to um, spend some money now if if that makes a big shift in your overall mental wellness, whether that's, um, like you said, short-term things um, that are health-related or taking time off or, or traveling or doing what you need to do to make sure that you're not burning out, right? And, and burnout is talked about a lot in the medical profession, in the medical um, world, but it's happening in other industries too, right? And so we try to really make sure that we're a part of that conversation not just from the insurance sales side and having disability insurance, but to um, make sure that we're talking about things that are really important to prevent the burnout. There's a phrase I use that sounds kind of funny. It's provocative on purpose, which is be more selfish. A lot of times when you're in a service profession, you're taking care of so many other people, but yourself. But the thing is, how well can you actually take care of other people when you're not taking care of yourself? Yeah, we do a lot of financial education for young physicians and their in residency and in their first couple of years of practice, we talk to them about, hey, look at your student loan debt, look at um, your mental health and the possibility of burnout, look at your financial situation and kind of your first five years of practice. At that point, um, you're building, you're not you're not rich yet, as they say, right? You're you're building your assets, you're funding your retirement plans, you're building your cash, you're funding your investment accounts, you may be buying real estate. And so in that first five, 10 years, you're very, very vulnerable to the risk of a disability. And so if you have all this debt and you're burnt out, and then you throw a disability in there, it's a very, very bad situation to be in. And so we try to say, hey, even if you don't work with us, if you don't talk to us, talk to someone right? Talk to someone and, and we can give you people that will, will do a good job by you just to make sure you have some disability coverage, right? Again, you don't need to be rich from your disability coverage, but it's very, very easy to check that box, get a very good policy, and then know that at least if something happens uh, to my health and my income goes away due to that health-related issue, I will be covered and I will be compensated. Um, and so it's not a fun conversation to have, it's not a conversation that people seek out because it's a foreign language to them. They don't understand it, but it's crucial um, that they that they do go through it. So you mentioned this, you know, it's not a fun conversation to have. This has been a fun conversation for me to have with you because <laughs> I'm a nerd on the financial side, but I love talking about stuff beyond the investments a lot. So before we end the call today, I want to make sure, are there any misconceptions that, you know, advisors should know about before, you know, moving on to the next thing? Yeah, we see a couple other misconceptions that that we hear from advisors and, and also clients. One of one of them is, well, I can just buy it later, right? And people don't realize on the individual side how hard it is to qualify from a health standpoint. These disability insurance companies do a really, really good job at scrutinizing your medical history. And there's things that you may even forgotten have happened in your medical history that are red flags to them because 
they're looking at it from a from a potential claims process. They're not looking at it like you are saying, hey, you know, I get headaches once a month. Um, I'm never I'm never going to quit work because of this. But they're saying, what could this lead to? And so disability insurance is hard to qualify for. So we advise people to at least get a starter plan when they're healthy, when they're younger, and then they can increase that benefit as their income goes up. Um, but that's one of the one of the other misconceptions we see as well. I'll just buy it later. Um, another misconception that we see is, hey, I don't want to spend $150 or $200 a month. I'd rather invest that money. Well, we very quickly can dispel that kind of misconception because we run the numbers for them. We show them, hey, if you invested you know, $150 or $200 a month at 6% over the next 30 years, that may come out to you know, $200,000, $250,000. But if you get disabled, you know, even if you're income is only $100,000 a year, that's going to mean two, two and a half, three million dollars of benefit that you're missing out on. If you're making $100,000 from age 32 to 65, that's over $6 million of income with the increases. And so another misconception we see is I'd rather just invest that money. Well, the amount of return, the amount of money you're going to get from investing that $200 a month versus the benefit just doesn't add up. And so being able to spend $150 or $200 a month to sleep well at night and know that your income's protected is a much better financial decision. So I appreciate you being here today. I'm really excited for all the future collaborations that we'll have at Measure Twice Planners, including members of the insurance industry, since we, we understand how important it is to transfer some of those risks. Thanks, Cody. Thanks for having me. And um, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Chris Clark. If you'd like to watch the full video version with an additional 30 minutes, consider becoming an official member of MeasureTwicePlanners.com.